Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Back in the 80s when our children were young and still coming, uh, I decided to take Sarah, our oldest, with me to go and do something for Karen. And that year, you know, it's hard to just meet needs when you're raising five kids. But I said, Karen deserves more than normal. And so Sarah and I went to the mall and went to a jewelry store to shop for her. And we found a pretty watch. I guess we paid $200, which was a huge amount back in the 1980s. And it was a beautiful gold watch that she, dainty, that would fit on her, on her uh, wrist. And so I said, now don't tell your mama what we got her. Well, we went home and she said, mom, I can't tell you what, you, daddy, what we got you, but you'll never have to ask dad what time it is again. <laughs> and so... Christmas Day at our house was pandemonium because uh, everything was wrapped. So you've got tissue paper, wrapping paper, boxes everywhere. And of course, the kids had opened up everything that was for them. And then Karen opened up her watch. And then we just spent the time just enjoying the kids with their gifts. We don't know how, but somehow in the pandemonium, that watch was lost. And Karen never got to put it on her wrist. To this day, I mean, when we moved and they cleaned the house out, it wasn't there. And so that was a gift that was lost. Well, let me tell you about a gift that can never be lost. It is the gift of salvation. And the Bible makes it clear that salvation is a gift. I could give many verses. I'll just give one. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. You can see the contrast between wages and a gift. A lot of people tend to think that salvation is something you earn, that they'll feel good about getting a place in heaven because they earned getting there. No, you can't do that, folks. You can't pay the dear price that was paid to bring our forgiveness of sins. First Peter said, you weren't redeemed by such perishable things as gold or silver. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, recently, Justin was visiting with a couple in the hospital. Their home was for sale. And uh, she, the, the wife said, you need to get you and Pastor Steve to go on the computer, go to Zillow, because there's pictures of the outside and the inside. And, and they were proud. And I'll tell you, they were proud for a good reason. That was an, a masterpiece of a home. So we went on Zillow and we did the walkthrough and looking at the inside and the outside. And then I looked at the bottom on Zillow and it said, estimated payments, if you buy that, $9,000 a month. And I had to break the bad news to Justin. <laughs> I believe that's out of your price range. Well, folks, salvation is out of our price range. It's a gift. Thank God it's a gift because we could never pay for it. But here's the deal. As a gift, it means you're giving something you don't deserve. And what I have so many people feel, and this is not understanding this concept that salvation is a gift. They say, well, what if I do this? Or what if I do this? Or what if I get so far away from God that he's ashamed? Can I do something no longer to deserve salvation so that God would take it back? Now think about that. If you could never deserve salvation... How could you do something to become undeserving of what you were never deserving of in the first place? 
That's what grace is all about. Grace is all about something that just doesn't make sense. We get a gift we do not deserve. Now, there are many verses that back up the teaching that a gift will not be revoked. A gift cannot be taken back. Uh, let me share with you some verses on eternal security. John 6, 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Now, notice what it said. I will lose none. The question is not whether or not you can lose your salvation. The question is, will Jesus lose you? And I've got some good news. He promised he will never lose one that's put their faith in him. No one will be lost. Here's another great verse on eternal security. John chapter 10, verse 27 and following. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. God's, this is what God says when you get saved. God has his hand wrapped around you. Jesus has his hand wrapped. There's a two-handed grip on you and they're not gonna let go. You can't be lost. Uh, he, he's going to hold on to us. We, we're going to be saved and saved forever. Let me give you one more passage that is a strong verse about eternal security. And it's the one we say every day, every Sunday. For God so loved the world that he gave us, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish but have, how long? Everlasting life. Now, if you can be saved for 10 years and then lose it, you didn't get everlasting life. You only got 10 years of life. But on December 27th, 1969, I put my faith in Jesus. And on that day, it was written in heaven, I have everlasting life. From that moment on, I knew that heaven will be mine and there is no doubt about my final destination. And so praise God for that. Isn't that good, encouraging news? The gift of salvation will never be taken away. But before I give you the second principle, let me give you the background of this verse. In 11, Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That's from one of the deepest sections of the New Testament, Romans 9 through 11. And Paul is basically having to chase a rabbit here. He's explained that salvation is a gift, that Jesus is the divine son of God, fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament, died for us, rose again. Now we can accept salvation as a gift. All that's been laid out in chapters one through eight. And then all of a sudden he comes to nine and he deals with the fact that was true by the time he wrote this in AD 57. By AD 57, the majority of the Jews were turning their back on God. We're rejecting Jesus as Savior. Now think about this. You would have thought that the easiest people to win to Jesus should be Jewish folk because Jesus was Jewish. He was the Messiah. Matthew in his gospel goes over and over again and says, this fulfills this. If you go back through the Old Testament, you'll find Jesus all over the Old Testament. It should be that Jews would be the low-hanging fruit that you could pick and they would come right to Christ. But by the time you get to, Isaiah, uh, to Romans chapter 9 through 11, Paul's dealing with that. Now, why in the world have most, if this is true and Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, why have most of the Jews rejected him and Paul basically gives a couple of answers. Here's one found in Romans 10, verse 21. He says, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and defiant people. 
Basically, Paul says this, if you're wondering why most of the Jews aren't on Jesus' team now, it's because go study the history of Israel. Go read your Old Testament. They just kept running from God and, and defying God, and he never gave up on them. Still hasn't given up on them. And so it says, even to this day, his hands are open to a disobedient people. But Paul answers that specific question that they were asking. Has God given up on the Jews? He answers that in Romans 11, 1 through 4, and he has an interesting answer. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Absolutely not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do, don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I'm the only one left, and they're trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. And his answer was, has God given up on Israel? No, they're still Jews being saved. And Paul said, I'm one of them. I'm Jewish, and I got saved. I've had a lot longer history with New York than I ever intended to have because I had uh, our daughter and her husband was a pastor there. They were there, I think, seven or eight years. It's a, a long time. Uh, I'll never forget the first time that Karen and I went to New York. I mean, can you imagine country boys and country girls going to the city? And I was there prepared. And it was, this was before it got cleaned up by Giuliani. It was, Times Square was scary. And I'll never forget, I was walking along that area when all of a sudden somebody reached out and put a gospel tract in my hand. It was from Jews for Jesus. The only time I got witness to was not by Baptists, but by Jews who accepted Christ. And Paul says, no, God hasn't given up on his people. The very fact that Israel exists today They've been brought back. That's all part of the fact. God's not giving up on them. And here's the principle. God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't wash his hands of us. God is still holding out his hands all day long to everyone in this room. Some of you have come as a courtesy to your families. I'm grateful you're here. Because you need to know that God hasn't washed his hand of you. Some of you may be saying, you don't know what I've done and what I've been. All I can say is this, God hasn't washed his hand of you. He will receive you if you come to him. In 1921, a missionary couple named David and Zvia Flood went along with their two-year-old son to what was then called the Belgian Congo. It later was changed to Zaire, and I think it's now the Congo. But they went there as missionaries, 1921. They were sent along with another couple from, from Sweden, the Ericsons, to go and try to reach a village that had never heard the gospel. It was the village of Indolora. But the chief would not allow them to enter the village. So they had a dilemma. Do we go back to our headquarters there in the Belgian Congo and find another place to go, or do we stay and try? So they simply moved a half mile away from the village, and they both built two mud huts with no help because the, the, the chief allowed no contact from the village. But once they set up a hut, the chief did allow them to have a little boy who would come and sell them food from the village twice a week so they would stay alive. That was the only contact they had with anybody in the village, this little boy. Well, Zavia Flood said, if this is the only African we have contact with, then I'll try to win him to Christ. 
And she was successful. And, she, and he accepted Christ. Both the floods and the Ericsons suffered constantly from malaria. Oh, folks, that's devastating when you get to that part of the world if you're an outsider. And so finally, the Ericsons said, that's enough. And they left that place that wouldn't even allow them in anyway. And they went back to the headquarters there in Belgian Gonco. But David and Zavia and their little boy stayed. And then Zavia got pregnant. She'd already been so weakened by malaria that by the time she came to give birth, and by the way, the chief weakened his command and allowed one midwife to come out and help her. By the time she gave birth to a little girl, she was so weakened, she lived only 17 days. And then she died. And David Flood took his own shovel and walked outside their hut and buried his wife. And he walked away not only from the body of his wife, but he walked away from God. He took his newborn back to the headquarters and literally gave that 17-day-old girl to the Ericsons and said, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife. I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. And with that, he went back home to Sweden. Well, the Ericsons had this little girl for eight months until suddenly, mysteriously, they both got an illness that within days took both of their lives. So this little baby girl was given to an American missionary couple and they adopted her and they returned to North Dakota and that's where she was raised. Later on, she went to a Bible college in North Dakota where she met her husband, David, and God just blessed her. She was so loved by this loving couple and she had that Christian heritage and Christian background. Her husband went into the ministry and years later, he was called to become the president of a Bible college in Seattle, Washington. And one of the things that pleased Zavia was that there were a lot of people of Swedish descent there in that area of Seattle. Well, one day somebody sent her a copy of a magazine that was only in Swedish and the cover of the magazine was a gravestone cross with the name Zvia Flood on it. This young woman, they called Aggie now, saw her mother's grave on the cover of a magazine and she couldn't read about it. So she found another professor there who knew Swedish and said, read me this article. And the article was about the little boy that she had led to Christ. He grew up, became a strong Christian, won all 600 members of that village to Christ. Went on later on and became the president of a Protestant denomination there in Zaire that had 110,000 members. When she saw that, she said, husband, we've got to go find my dad. It had been many years later. Uh, he was now an alcoholic, an old man, had been bitter at God. Let me read to you about what happened. He turned and cried when he saw her and said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened. Tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives had been like this because of him. And he turned his face back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued undaunted. Papa, I've got a little story to tell you, and it's a true one. 
You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win the whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today, there are thousands of African people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He never hated you. He turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God he resented for so many decades. I want to give you two blessings today. The first blessing is for those who've accepted the gift of salvation. This is the blessing I want to give you. I want you to go home tonight, put your head on a pillow, go to sleep, knowing that you'll never lose that gift that heaven is yours. Isn't that something the world has no concept of? But if you're running from God and Satan always likes to whisper, he doesn't want you. He's given up. I've got some good news for you if you're running from God. God will take you. Him that comes to him, he will in no wise cast out, Jesus said. So why don't you come to him today? Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will draw people to yourself. Oh, I know you haven't given up. You're holding out hands to every heart in this room. And I pray that every one of us will run to you and not from you. Friend, if you've never trusted Jesus, would you right now just say these words to him? Say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying for me and rising again. Today, I accept the gift of everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen.